Hi, welcome to Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. This podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Atlanta, where our pastors and members dig deeper into the sermon and its text together. Our goal is to consider new questions and observations while looking at the passage so that we might more practically apply God's word to our life. If you have a question for our pastors, please feel free to engage our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. Or if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our sermon talk back. All right. Well, the talk back is back. I mean, it's been a while since we've, I mean, it's probably been a month or two at least. It's been a while for me, for sure. Yeah. How about you, Jackson? Yeah. Is I, it, you've done these before, haven't you? You know, I have actually not first, done one. This is your first time in the it's chair. first time in the first chair. Yeah. Now he's done ODR, so he's- oh, I know, I know. He's, he's, he's used to the he's mic. He's already a favorite yes. on ODR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Uh, well, we, it's been a wild time. There's a lot going on in the church and we're in the process of moving right now. We're in this like barren little office over here at the old (laughs) collective. I think this is about to become Lou's office. It used to be mine, but I don't have any stuff in here. Um, but Exodus 20 is what is at hand. And, uh, Barrett Fisher and Jackson Randall are here to talk with me about, uh, our sermon from Exodus 20. I think it is number, it could be number nine. In the Exodus series? In the Exodus mm, series. Yeah. It's either eight or nine. I think it's nine. Mm. And uh, so we're, we're making some headway here. Um, but let's uh, let's jump into it. Now, we, we've had some folks that have asked us a few questions and wanted some clarity on a few things. Um, <laughs> the, the beginning of the sermon, I went into this whole kind of treatise on um, how the law has shaped and impacted the Western world. And, and, and I guess one of the examples that I was giving was how much it shaped the Jew, the Jewish world. I mean, the, the Jewish culture. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know that, you know, the 1800 years, there was literally no centralized location for Jewish people. Mm-hmm. I remember when I, I think I first learned that and it probably, I probably didn't really learn that until I like went to Israel. 1948. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I knew that that was the country, but I just, I don't right. think I understood that, like, no Jewish people lived in Palestine yeah. for 1,800 years. Right. I think I just kind of thought, like, well, Jewish people were always living there. Well, they weren't. They they were scattered all over the world. Um, that was why it was so monumental, you know, in the wake of World War II to give Israel its own land, its own nation again. Yeah. And yeah. it was just this, like, crazy moment and then you get all these like biblical you know oh yeah eschatological created a (laughs) a thing right which i get you know it makes sense um but you know the zionist movement had started before that i mean so jewish people started moving back to that area in about the 1870s but it was in small number but literally zero lived there i mean you look at the census data it was like zero right uh, descendants of Abraham lived there from 130 AD until the 1870s. And then, of course, there wasn't a majority of Jewish people living there until, obviously, recently. Hmm. Um, and it's still, you know, a very, I mean, the the issue with the Palestinians, I mean, yeah. anyway, the point I was trying to make, we're, we don't want to go down that rabbit trail, yeah. the point I was trying to make is how strong living as minority groups 
scattered all over the world was this Jewish law and culture. It, 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 built, it built an ethos. It built a cultural system. And, and I think what we in the West can, so that's easy to see. I think what we in the West can struggle to see a little bit more is that we are a part of an ethos and a culture that actually has Judeo-Christian roots in a profound way. Right. Our understanding of morality, our understanding of ethics, our understanding of law, in so many ways, flows out of the Ten Commandments. It flows out of um, this Judeo-Christian ethic. And, and a lot of the Enlightenment thinkers didn't realize that, in a sense. They just kind of thought, like, this is the way people think. This is right. the way people treat people. This is the way um, everybody knows that this is good or bad. And I think as we've kind of, as the West has had more engagement with the rest of the world, this was the point I made about Afghanistan and Iraq, we're realizing, wait a second, maybe the rest of the world doesn't actually think this way. Uh, and there's a reason that we think this way. And of course, there is a reason that we think this way. It's because we have this Judeo-Christian ethical superstructure that's really informed our society and give us the most flourishing society. I, I talked uh, with someone yesterday too about you know, how God's values, God's principles, God's wisdom, while it won't save you, I want to be careful to say that, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're not unified to God through understanding his wisdom and values, but it mm -hmm. is good for human flourishing. And the Ten Commandments is a big part of that. Yeah. You know, it, it's striking to me that even you saying that the more and more I interact with people and especially younger people these days, it is this massively consequential thing that the commandments but I don't even know that people know the Ten Commandments anymore. No. You know, I mean, know. if you just ask your average person who goes to church, what are the Ten Commandments? I think a significant number would would probably be able to give you like six of them, maybe. Probably not in the right order. Whereas that used to be kind of the like one of the big three things that we would use to train young Christians, right? Along with the uh, Apostles' Creed and the uh, the Lord's Prayer. But now all of a sudden it's like this unknown thing. And I wonder in what way that's contributing to the very thing you were talking about in your sermon, the sort of abandoning of this and what's going to happen to culture when it's abandoned. When I was a child, the joke was kind of like, somebody may not be a Christian, but they would say, well, I live by the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. You don't hear that anymore. No. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I live by the Ten Commandments. I mean, what are the Ten Commandments? I know Will Carlisle, a good Briarwood educated boy, knows, <laughs> his, knows his Ten Commandments. But, uh, but... Yeah, I don't I don't ever hear I live by the Ten Commandments, you know. Yeah, if anything, it feels like people sort of degrade the Ten Commandments. And I mean it's there's almost a like a, a badge of honor that people wear saying, I don't know these things, and I don't really care to know them. Well, let's go there because I think that's an interesting point is the kind of antinomian world mm -hmm. that we live in. I mean, I think all of us, maybe, and I don't want to speak for you or you. I could probably speak for you. Uh, <laughs> just speak for me. That's why I'm quiet over here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think I just know this part of your I think both of us grew up in, I would say, like a more legalistic world mm, than yeah. we live in right now. Yeah. It's probably true of you. Yep. I feel like that world, and, and, and it's not like we're that old. I guess we're sort of old, but huh? middle-aged. We're in the <laughs> middle of old. Yeah. It's changed yeah. in our lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I remember growing up and one of the big things was in public schools having the Ten Commandments on the wall mm -hmm. of like the school classroom in public schools. And so there was just this huge, there was this huge uproar in the evangelical church and, and particularly in my church in Memphis 
uh, about like the Ten Commandments coming down from the public school. And I, I remember my my parents, I remember my mom in particular, like felt very strongly, you know, that this was something worth fighting for to like get the Ten Commandments back up. And I and I understood the impulse. And and as I as I I got older, like it, it kind of feels like there's kind of two different sides to that though. There's one side that's like and I'm not saying my mom is guilty of this or or anybody else who wanted to get the Ten Commandments back on the wall, but it, it, uh, fault pointing at uh, Jennifer Fisher is not allowed. No, no, I would never <laughs> yeah, fault yeah. Jennifer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but there's one side of it where the ditch is legalism, where you fall into this like right. you know, like you're saying, like I live by the Ten Commandments, and you find your your quote Christian identity in like living this good moral life. The other, the other ditch is, you know, on the, on the other side of like, um, not wanting to have the law up on the wall is basically like throwing the law away. And I think that's what we're saying is kind of true of today is we've kind of thrown the law away and maybe, I don't know, maybe the charismatic Pentecostal movement is, Hmm. is playing some of that where it's like kind of this live by the spirit. Uh, so I, and so I, I mean, I, for one, talk about that a lot, living by the spirit, walking by the spirit. But you can almost go like too far in that direction where the law, and it's interesting that that Paul actually talks about the law of Christ. And so I I think what he's, what part of what he's saying is like, there are guardrails that like the New Testament is even giving us based on this Jewish law, you know, particularly the 10 commandments where we are to, we are to live by these certain laws. And so yeah. You you do certain things, you don't do certain things, and that's actually like a very good and you know to use a to use a helpful word, very helpful uh, thing for us. <laughs> so you know yeah. it keeps us on track though, and we have to have that. And so it's not this like antinomian, which you'll hear that word a couple of times. It basically yeah. means like no not law. law. Yeah. You know, no. What is it? Anti namas. Yeah, yeah, namas is law in Greek, and and then anti. So anti law, and so we um we don't want to live in this like anti law, like just live by the spirit, do whatever mm-hmm. you know, because that's like a little too trusting of our hearts. I would say, like we're still being sanctified, and so we we still have this. And I think you pointed that out with Paul. Like I do the very thing that I hate. He's mm-hmm. still like so struggling with this this darkness that's like in his in his heart even though he's covered by the blood of Jesus and he knows that and he can boldly approach the throne of God because of what Jesus has done in his, in his life but uh, but he still has this struggle and so you see what I'm saying like there's there's ditches on both sides of this thing well, and, and totally the the language I like I mean I like the the book of Galatians to talk about this because I think that's getting to where you're going the, the ultimate goal is that we need no law, right? Right. I mean, that is the ultimate goal. We want to live by the Spirit, and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? And so, but here's where I think Christians, the mistake Christians make, hmm. is that we assume that we're more mature than we really are. <laughs> and and I'm going to say this yes. as a middle-aged pastor, right? I mean, and I can fall into this too. As an immature middle-aged pastor. An immature middle-aged <laughs> pastor. Right, 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 right. But I mean, yeah, it would be easy for me to say, I'm 40, I've read the Bible, I'm middle-aged, I'm a pastor. I get it. I can just live by the Spirit now. Right. I don't really need the law. That's right. But the way that Paul talks about the law in Galatians 3 is that it's a guardian, right? And so I love that. I, I You know, it's like, it's like you, you still need 
a guardian. You still need some guardrails, like right. you just said. I, right. I still need some help. I mean, I, yes, I want for my desires to be right all the time. I want to desire what God would desire all the time. But the thing is, I just don't. My heart right. is just not right. My heart hasn't been made complete. And so, but the Lord, the Lord's actually given us a great gift. He's given us the law. And the law, you know, has this way of correcting us. You know, it's like the Calvin's uses. I think they're they're really yep. helpful. We've been laughing. <laughs> 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 We've been laughing. The law is dope. Let me let me let me a little, a, a little talk back side note. Go, little, go, like, go ahead, Dees. This is a little bit behind the scenes <laughs> yeah, to yeah, the story yeah, okay. talk yeah. We've been talking about how Christians use the word helpful, especially in like kind of smart intellectual Christian circles. Like, I don't know if you you know, you're certainly probably not around that if you get with us that much, but like we hang out with some of those people and they use the word helpful all the time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, some guys that we know are saying, you know, Christians use the word helpful, like Gen Z guys use the word dope. So anyway, <laughs> but- um, So we laugh every time we say the word helpful now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what I was, the point I was trying to make. I've, I've, hey, let, let me, let me pick know, it up. It was yeah, so yeah. helpful though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, so- uh I just want to say dope so bad right now. Um, so a little bit of uh, biography about me. So I did grow up in sort of a legalistic world, but tried to react against that and quickly became one of those people who was like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm free I'm in Christ. living by the spirit, Living man. by the spirit. Don't need the law, you know, uh, super happy to bang that drum. And, uh, and it was shocking to me to then begin to study the law, especially so I was getting a seminary and realized the gift that the law was and to realize that this was a, a profound blessing and actually one of the most kind gifts of revelation that God could give to his people. And, and one of the things that's just wild to me is, you know, the gods in the ancient Near East, they didn't speak. You know, there's all these people who wander around hoping that they are doing whatever they can to uh, please the gods. And that's massively important in a world where you live based on if the rain comes or if your crops grow, right? Mm. And so you do whatever you can to please the gods. You you know, you make sacrifices to them or you you sacrifice people to them or you do weird chants or tattoo your body. And there's all these different things people would do in the ancient Near East to please the gods, to to earn their benevolence. But now our God makes himself known and he shows us how he can be pleased and how God's presence can be maintained amongst his people. And so it gives these laws as a gift and they're not meant to be burdensome. They're not meant to oppress his people. They're meant to be these massive blessings that say, I'm going to dwell with you and here is how you live amongst a holy God. Right. Well, and I think that's a good transition into like the 10 commandments themselves and and what you preached on yesterday. Um, I, I found it interesting how you were kind of pulling out like the first commandment and the 10th commandment mm -hmm. and how those seem to almost be like an overarching umbrella or like a framework for all the 10 commandments. So I, I was kind of, kind of interested to hear you draw that out a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know that I've like seen this in a commentary or whatever, but all throughout the old, I'm sure it's in a commentary somewhere, but all throughout the old Testament, you see chiasms, mm -hmm. you know, in stories and in, just different you know, in, in Psalms and, and different things. And a chiasm is kind of where there's like a, there's a bit of a shape to 
uh, a text. I'll give you I'll give you a popular example. Actually, is like the story of the prodigal son. It's obviously in the New Testament, but you know, there's like the the young son went to his father, and then the second half of the story, the father went to the son. Like so, there's you're, you're seeing kind of the same thing happen in two parallel stories, right? Yeah. All right, that's a little bit of an example biblical interpretation for you. <laughs> I would say take the vicar's class if there you, you want to know more. Um, uh, it's very helpful. It's very helpful. It's dope. That's a dope class. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think the Ten Commandments actually sort of work that way. Um, and so the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. That's kind of the anchor command. And, you know, people have talked about the vertical nature of the Ten Commandments, and they usually split it up as four, six. I actually think five, five is a better way to split it up. And so what does it mean to have no other gods before the Lord? Well, shouldn't make any graven image, right? Just take God at his word. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Worship, remember the Sabbath. And I think the honor and father and mother, even though people kind of put it as a, um, as a you know, horizontal, horizontal yeah. your parents' relationship, it's really more oriented toward living long in the land, the blessing of God. It's really more oriented toward like discipleship, worship of God. How is the next generation going to know how to worship God? How is worship going to continue throughout the generations? Okay, so that's kind of the top. And then the bottom, you know, we have murder, adultery, steal, lie, and then covet. And covet kind of explains, it's the heart posture, it's the internal command that would say, well, why would you murder someone? Right. Well, you murder someone because you want to steal from them and you shoot them. You know, so there's a, you, you covet their things or you murder someone because you're angry with them. Well, you, you're, and you're angry with them because like they've done something to you. So your, your, your heart position toward them is wrong. Why would you commit adultery? Because you're coveting someone else's wife or husband. Why would you steal? Because you're coveting something that's not yours. Why would you not tell the truth? Because you're, you're coveting in a sense of reality or whatever that, that isn't the reality. And so the point I'm trying to make here is I think that that 10th command goes internal and it speaks to kind of the why of the other more action-oriented commands. And really the point I was trying to make in the sermon was it's those the first and the 10th, it's the internal commands that actually make the law so hard. I mean, maybe you can remember the Sabbath day and not work. Maybe you cannot steal. Maybe you cannot, uh, you can always bear witness to what is true. Yeah. Maybe you can do those things. But can you really not covet? <laughs> you know, can you really have no other gods before God? I mean, that's where it's all of a sudden it's like, no, that's not how my heart is. Yeah. That's not what my heart wants to do all the time. Mm. And that's when Calvin's third point of the lie, that's where I was when we got off on the helpful and dope rant. But like okay. the three points of the law, it gives order to society. It tells us the character of God. And then three, it actually leads us to this neediness. It leads us, it bids us to cry out to God for grace. It crushes us. It crushes us. Yeah, yeah. And it does. And that's why I think, I think that that's what Paul is doing there in Romans 7. Now, mm. it's a hard passage to interpret. If, right. you, if you're out there and you're like a Romans 7 scholar and you want to disagree with me, <laughs> I'm not saying like this is easy. But I think what Paul is saying is the law used to give life because I was good at it. I could obey the whole thing. I could do it all. I wasn't killing anybody. I wasn't stealing. And then I started studying that covet passage and it came up and it's like the the man in the night that just crushed me yeah. you know he killed me 
I love that he says the law slayed me. I think mm. in one translation. So I I was also curious. You you know obviously didn't have like a ton of time to go through the Ten Commandments, but you talked about each one as being a paradigm. Yeah. And so I I was kind of interested to hear just a little bit more on a sermon talk back why you would call this a paradigm. I mean, we've, we've usually just referred to those as like the 10 commandments. So there's like command one and commandment two and commandment three. So why is it helpful to think of those in terms of paradigms versus, you know, just like blank. Well, and I think that gets back to like the moment in history that we're actually in here. It's not like God's just arbitrarily saying, here's some rules. Yeah. You know, uh, he's saying like, I'm establishing a people outside of Egypt. Here are some paradigms that you have to live by. You have to value human life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about that with murder. Uh, and that was one of the little side questions I wanted to get to. Uh, you have to have a rhythm of worship, right? If you want to have a flourishing society, you have to have a rhythm of honesty or, you know, a, a society of honesty. So the, they actually form these much larger paradigms. They're not just like rules in a vacuum. They're these much larger paradigms of how do you have a flourishing society that the the society that god was creating how is it going to flourish and move forward uh so uh and and i think that that jesus in in the same kind of way and and i didn't explicitly say this in the sermon but in in the sermon on the mount is is kind of presenting the law that way look like (laughs) yes you have sort of said do not murder but there's a bigger thing. It's not going just on about here. taking a knife and like sticking it right. in somewhere. How are you living at peace with your brother? Yeah, there's right? a paradigm going right, on. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, a couple of questions that came up capital punishment and war under the murder one in particular. The, the other thing I always say about murder, uh, and maybe y'all have heard me talk about this before, is a lot of people, a lot of people say, Well, I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody. <laughs> you know, and I always say to say that statement is actually a privileged statement. Uh-huh. Like if you say I've I've never killed anybody, um, what you're saying there is I have lived such a privileged life where I've never faced injustice to the point where I've been on the verge of killing someone, and it may be like the right thing to do. I mean, mm. I think of again going back to a movie from our youthful years mm. uh, on this uh, middle-aged dad podcast time, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, a time to kill, right? Hmm. Like everybody, great movie. You know, everybody kind of uh, John Grisham, right? Yeah. Isn't that John Grisham? Yeah, yeah. Everybody like justifies Samuel L. Jackson. Like everybody's like, yeah, like his little baby girl got raped by these horrible guys. They strung her. They tried to kill her. Like that justifies killing. I mean, Matthew McConaughey had us all sold that it was justified. And so, so even that statement, I've never killed anybody. That's actually a statement of great privilege. Um, and, but what about, um, capital punishment and war? Well, again, to the, a time to kill example there, capital punishment, rather than being a, uh, a devaluing of human life is actually the, the intention of it. Uh, and I think this is what we see kind of when capital punishment is introduced in the Bible in Genesis nine, the intention of it is actually to have a greater value right. for human life. If you take someone's life, that is such a high thing that the only like way to justly pay or reconcile that or, or bring justice to that situation is that you also would lose your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that if, if looking at it paradigmatically is actually helpful. It, it actually like 
it like, okay, what is the paradigm here? It's a value of life, so you shouldn't murder. But if you do murder, the only just punishment is that you would have to lose your life. And then war is the same thing, right? Like just war calls to protect life or to protect a flourishing society. It's to protect the innocent. Um, and that's why you go to war. You don't go to war to, it would not be a just war if we just said, let's go expand our territory so we can get rich yep. and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what Putin is doing right now. That's what Putin's doing. Yeah. yeah. And we're nobody is saying like, yeah, you know. Yeah. As long as you have the missiles, you should, you should be able to do what he wants. Right. Uh, we're saying, no, that's an unjust war. Yep. Yeah. He's just trying to get rich. He's trying to go after the breadbasket. Um, and so I think that is Christian just war theory Christians aren't in favor of war, but we are in favor of life and human flourishing and protecting the innocent. And sometimes the the means by which that must happen is actually a horrible means. I mean, war is always horrible, yeah. but it sometimes is the only possible means. Yeah, it's striking, you know, just in the news right now, the Parkland school yeah, yeah, shooter, yeah. Nicholas Cruz, just got life without parole and instead of getting the um, death penalty. the death penalty, and if you read the interviews with the different parents and different people associated, I mean, they feel grief stricken because they feel like there was uh, no justice in this. You know, the, their their children's lives or their husbands' lives were sacrificed at a type of altar while he gets to continue living. So, in a sense, you've devalued their children's life, right, by not taking his life. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean. I don't know if this is about capital punishment, but the the biblical, I mean, I am, you know, I don't know if I'm trying to get too political here, but I am in favor of capital punishment for that reason. I yeah. think like that, I do think that is something that's like hardwired into us. I feel for those parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the Bible gives us this, you know, we, we're supposed to have a trust in a type of government that would make the hard decision. We're not supposed to take that, uh, vengeance uh, for ourselves, That's but right. we entrust that to a neutral moral arbiter who's going to be able to come along and say, right. "Hey, I bear the sword, and I'm going to bear it or wield it justly." And and so, therefore, if you're a person who's prone to bad conduct, you should fear and not do that. It should curb bad behavior because there is a sword that we're in danger of facing mm-hmm. if we act unjustly. The other like one specific question that came up and and we can shut the podcast down because I'm sure the people are they've gotten to work by now. They're ready to <laughs> they're ready to go get inside and get a cup of coffee. But um while you're here sitting in the parking lot or trying to find a place to park, uh, the one other question that was asked is the the idolatry question mm. making some sort of an idol and then naming that idol Jesus. Um, and we're actually going to, I mean, I almost hesitate to, there's not kind of, it's a little unnecessary to go into this because we're going to talk about it this week, but somebody was like, well, what examples would you give there? And, and I want to be careful with some of these examples, but like, I mean, for example, like the prosperity gospel is an example, right? Where the real goal of the prosperity gospel is that you would be healthy. It's kind of a self-centered gospel and, and God becomes the means by which you go get that. And, and everybody in the prosperity gospel would say, I'm serving Yahweh, I'm serving Jesus. Um, but actually they're not because they've taken the truth of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And, and, and to use a word that we're looking at in, um, uh, in Exodus 32, they've distorted it or they've, uh, corrupted it. That's the word I'm looking for. They've corrupted the truth of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and I think that is the, 
that is our propensity with idolatry is to, and I think that's why God is very strict about even the actual carving or imagery is because uh-huh. it all is a corruption of what he has revealed himself to be. Yeah, and, and God's worthy of being worshiped in the ways that he desires to be worshiped, right? And, and so he prescribes a particular form of worship and he's not going to be like all these other little god, little G gods who can be worshiped through a golden calf or something like that. He's right. going to be completely distinct. And above that, and he tells his people to worship him in these ways, and the Ten Commandments summarize that really beautifully, and they cast it away. And we do the same thing all and, the yeah. time. And then Christian nationalism is yeah. another example where, I mean, and, and let me, the best way I can explain Christian nationalism, because it's a kind of a confusing thing, you know, one time I was uh, at, uh, I'll just say a previous church, and uh, somebody got, was got on to me because they wanted to have like a big American celebration. And, and, and I, and I, I certainly want to pray for the government. I'm grateful. I, I, I look, there's nobody more American than Jason D. God bless I mean, America. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love America. I love America, but I do think to the idolatry thing, we need to be careful that like our love for country can become something that we worship. And the, the, the person said, we were talking about context of missions, and I was challenging the church because whenever we had somebody in the military that would come, everybody would erupt in raucous applause and love mm-hmm. that person. And it was like the greatest thing that ever happened. And we'd have a missionary come, and they'd be like, oh, you know. Yeah. And, and I would be like, you know, you guys like cheer so much for the military person putting themselves in harm's way. I said this like from the pulpit, you know, from the military person putting themselves in harm's way. And I love the military. Nobody loves the military more than Jason D's. But I said, but you, you, you give a half-hearted applause to the missionaries who are equally putting themselves in in harm's way in order to advance the gospel. Uh, And I, I just said that, that, that's, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous place for your heart to be. And after the service, somebody came up to me and said, well, if it wasn't for America, we wouldn't have missionaries, you know. But, but that is that. Yeah, I know, I know. But but and 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 I was it was it was actually it was no it was a helpful comment because yeah. it was it was ultimately helpful. It was clarifying. It was Immediately clarifying. Not helpful. That is Christian nationalism, right? That that is where right. the the thing that actually we're worshiping is, you know the American military or the United States of America or the American, you know, manifest destiny, or I don't know what it is, but it's right. this form of a strong nation that then provides for these niceties that we have, like the worship of God, yep. <laughs> when actually it's the entire, uh, you know, Christianity does not need America no. to exist. Christianity existed before America. Christianity will exist after America the kingdom of Christ is forever. But America, Amen. this is one of the points I made Sunday, actually kind of does need Christianity to exist. Right. America without its Christian ethical roots uh, is corruptible, is falls apart. It, it actually, the experiment of democracy actually does not work without some of the values that we've held on to in a Christian world. So anyway, that is another example of an idol, that kind of Christian nationalist impulse that we have seen a lot of, and I just want to say, you see that a lot on the right and the left. A totally. lot of people attack the right for that, and it certainly is there on the right. It's also, and I can give you a lot. I actually, I, I can actually give you a lot more examples on the left. So, and that's not a political statement, but it just is. If you think this is just a right problem, it's a person, it's, a human, it's problem. a human problem. Yeah. So, 
All right. Anything else? Parrots? I think we're good. I mean, what do you, you think about that podcast? It was dope. I would say it was very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> if I do say so myself. Right. Well, for Jackson Randall and Barrett Fisher, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening. Once again, thank you for listening to the Sermon Talkback podcast. If you have any other questions after listening, or if there's anything else you'd like to discuss with one of our pastors, please don't hesitate to engage our text the pastor line at 404-465-1737. And once again, if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you and have a blessed week.